Thank you so much, Pastor Johnny. I appreciate that. Aren't you grateful for Johnny Kurtzinger today? Aren't you grateful for him? I'm grateful. Thank you so much. Stay in Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. And I'm just so grateful that I get to be with you today. My name is Chad Balthrop, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here and, uh, and just with, with our church. And it's always a privilege to get to be here. Uh, Rob Lewis today is out being a much bigger man than I am. <laughs> he's, uh, he's riding some motocross, and I've heard he's done really well. And so that's always a, a good thing. I'm grateful for him and looking forward to him being back. We are in a series called Parables, and we've been in this series for quite some time now. And I hope that you're beginning to catch a picture for what a parable really is. A parable is the way Jesus taught most of the time, and he would tell a small story with a great big meaning. And every parable that he told, it always had kind of three purposes. It would reveal a little bit about the kingdom of God. It would reveal some about the character of God. And then it will reveal about how we're supposed to live in light of who God is and in light of his kingdom. And so every week, we've been taking a look at different parables over the past several weeks. And one of the things I find intriguing about the parables is Jesus spoke in about 40 different stories. There's just about 40 of them. About one in three of those 40 stories do have to do with money. And today what we're looking at isn't really just one parable. We're really looking at two parables. And the beginning of it has a little bit to do with money, but that's not really the focus of it. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. The focus of it is really something far far better than that. And so I'm excited about what we get to see from Scripture today. And really, here's what we're going to look at today. Here's what we're going to see today. Today, if you're looking closely at Scripture and if you're listening well, what you're going to see is three characteristics of a trustworthy Christ follower. That's what you're going to see today is three characteristics of a trustworthy Christ follower. You're going to see that a trustworthy Christ follower, they're going to be generous, they're going to be ready, and they're going to be faithful. That's what you're going to see today. And you see that inside these parables. And, uh, and, and I just think it's interesting as we think about what it means to be a Christ follower. As I look out across this room, some of us are Christ followers. We've been coming to church forever, but church isn't what makes us a Christ follower, right? Showing up to another meeting is not what makes you a follower of Jesus. It's actually doing what he says and living according to his ways and following his leadership. That's really what makes us a Christ follower, right? And so I'm looking in the room and I'm thinking, there are many of us who are here today who who would be easy for us to say we are Christ followers. But the question I want you to challenge yourself with today is the question is, are, are you a trustworthy Christ follower? You see, because I think there's a difference between a trustworthy Christ follower and one who isn't trustworthy. I also know that there are people in our room today that may not be Christ followers yet, and I just want to say thanks for being here. This is a great place for you to get questions answered, for you to explore what Scripture says, for you to discover who Jesus really is and what what is so significant about this man who was a a prophet and a priest and a king. He was all of these things and, and so much more, and sometimes so much more humble than what we might imagine. And so if you have questions about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, there are people seated next to you that all service long and after the services They would love to be able to talk to you about that and answer your questions. This is a great place for us to come. But today inside this parable, actually these two parables, what we really see are those three characteristics, the characteristics of what it means to be a trustworthy Christ follower. So are you trustworthy? Let that question just settle into your heart for just a moment. Are you a trustworthy Christ? Christ follower. Just just listen for a second and, and let that settle. Because those three characteristics we see clearly in the passage. A trustworthy Christ follower is going to be generous, be ready, 
and be faithful. So let's look at generosity first. Look at verse 34 in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A trustworthy Christ follower is going to be generous with who they are and with what they have. They're going to use who they are and what they have for the benefit of others. This verse is actually crystal clear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's it really, what it's really saying is that what you treasure is what you trust. What you treasure is what you trust. And so it's easy for you to determine what you trust. You can take whether you use cash or credit card or Apple Pay or, or some uh, online service like Venmo or Cash App or PayPal. Whatever it is you use to keep track of your expenses, you can take every one of those receipts out. And from those receipts, you can determine what the priorities of your life are. You can do that. I'm not asking for that. I, wouldn't, I don't need to know that. But between you and God... Between you and God, you can take a look at all those receipts, and every receipt is going to show you an example of something that you put your trust in. You know how you know? Well, because you exchanged work for it. You exchanged time for it. You exchanged money for it. You exchanged something valuable so that you could get this thing that's recorded on this receipt, right? What you treasure is what you trust, Now, one of the reasons why I'm grateful that we get to talk about this one piece of money today is because I'm going to show you something today. And and I know when a pastor talks about money, sometimes it's easy to believe that he's talking about giving to the church. And while I believe that the church is a worthy target for our gifts, I really do believe that if we're believers in Christ and we're members here, we've said that this is the place and these are the people that I want to grow with and I want to be accountable to and I want to partner with in ministry. So I think as a member of this church and as a believer in Christ and a follower of him, I think this is a worthy target for your gifts. But don't don't make the mistake of thinking that that's my point today. It's not my point today. I hope you give and I'd be happy for you to give to the church, but there's so many more targets out there for your generosity. There are so many bigger ways you can be generous than just by giving to your church. And we're going to see a little bit more about that today. But when I say we need to be generous as a people, I mean we should use who we are and what we have for the benefit of others. We should be investing in eternal things. And if you look at your checkbook or you look at your credit cards or you look at your receipts of all the things that you seem to trust the most... And God never shows up in that account. If you look at all of those receipts and all the records of all your expenditures and you realize that this this treasure shows me what I trust, if generosity to other people and the people around you, if that never shows up, generosity to the people in our community, generosity to people in need, generosity who aren't as blessed as you are in whatever way, whether it's with intelligence or whether it's with talent or whether it's with stuff or whether it's with time. If you're just not generous with people, then I wonder if Jesus would call you a trustworthy Christ follower. You see, that's what generosity looks like. And here's what I hope in this place. I hope that in this place we become known. I hope we build the reputation for being the kind of people who are extravagantly, hilariously, almost insanely generous to the people around us. Over the past several weeks in this location, actually past few months, past, past season of time, there's been some things that have happened at this location that I find to be unfortunate. 
And what I mean by that is it's, it's tragic because it, it demonstrates that people don't really understand what's going on here. Over the past several months, we've had some vandalism here. And we've had some things that were taken away from here that were stolen from, from this location. It's happened at the Owasso campus in the past too. And, and it breaks my heart when someone feels like they need to rob the church. It breaks my heart when someone feels like they need to rob someone else. And you know why it breaks my heart? Because I hope that we as a church are building the kind of reputation that causes the people in the community around us to go, you'd be crazy to rob them. You know why? Because if you ask, they'll just help you. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? If we built such a strong reputation, not simply as an organized church, (laughs) but as individuals, you and me, as individual towards, towards one another, that, that people would think it's crazy to steal from him. It's crazy to try to steal from her. Why? Because you're going to get caught? No. It's crazy to steal from him because if you just ask, they're going to find a way to help you. Why? Well, because they're generous. They intend to use who they are and what they have for the benefit of others. Now, there's some examples of this that I want us to, to show you. And, and, and as I show you these examples, it gives me the reason why I can be generous. King David was one of the Old Testament kings of Israel. And he had this very unique perspective on all the things that he had. And, and, and I just think it's fascinating to, to see the way King David viewed what he had. You remember who David was, right? King, he was the king that he was the nobody who became a somebody. He was the shepherd boy who slayed a giant. Remember him? He was the youngest and the ruddiest of all the brothers. Nobody looked at him and thought, oh, he's going to be a king someday. But that's exactly what God did for him, right? He made David into a king. Turn in your Bibles, if you have it with you, to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And I think David's perspective on his stuff gives us a perspective on our stuff that can help us put our treasure in the right place and can help us become those generous people that God is asking us to be. It helps us become a trustworthy follower of Christ when we get this proper perspective on the things that we have. And so just take a look at this. 1 Chronicles Chapter 29, beginning in verse 11. This is David, and he's praying in a public assembly in front of everyone. And just listen for those key words that show you what David thought about all the stuff that he had. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Now look at verse 14. This is incredible. He's the king of Israel, and he's looking at God in a prayer and saying, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. Isn't that interesting? David, from his perspective as king, as a conqueror, as the one who is reigning and ruling over everyone in Israel, he said, no, 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 all of this, all of this comes from God. And he says, now in this moment that I'm making an offering, all that I have, you, you're the one who gave me. And the only thing I'm giving to you now is what, you, is what you've already given me. <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid, my dad would give me an allowance every week. He'd give me an allowance, and come Christmas time, he would take me shopping. 
And he would take me shopping because he wanted me to use some of the allowance that he had given me to buy Christmas presents. So I'd buy a Christmas present for my mom and for my brother and for my grandma and my grandpa. And then eventually I'd go, I'm going to buy a Christmas. He's going to be so proud of me. I'm going to buy a Christmas present for my dad. And you know what money I used to buy a Christmas present for my dad? Yeah, I used my allowance. I used the money he had given me for a long time. Every Christmas gift my dad received from me is a Christmas gift that I paid for. More than that, I was kind of shrewd. I'd get to the store and I'd go, oh, dad, I forgot to bring my allowance with me. Could you put it on your credit card and I'll pay you back later? And he would do that. And so I would just, I'd give him a present, but he was getting a present from something I had already given him, right? Right, already received from him. That's exactly what David is saying right here. Everything I have to give to anyone else, whether I'm giving to the church or to an individual, whether I'm just generous to the people around me, everything I have to give, God gave me in the first place. Go back to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to see exactly what this means in light of Luke chapter 12 in this parable. And this is such an extraordinary verse when you figure it out in light of being generous, being ready, and being faithful. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's not just asking us to be extraordinarily, hilariously, crazily, maybe even insanely generous to one another. He's actually looking at us and saying, you can do that. Do you know why? Because I have already been generous to you. I have given you, according to 1 Peter or excuse me, 2 Peter, everything you need for life and for godliness. And now, why don't you go out and build this reputation for being the kind of people that nobody has to steal from? Not in this community, not in your life. Why? Well, because if people just ask, you'll help. You'll find a way to help. You may not have it in your pocket right now, but you'll find a way to help. And and you'll do your best to be generous and to be kind to one another. Why? Because God gave you everything, and now you have an opportunity to give anything back to him. I want to give you a, a, a really good object lesson, just a really simple object lesson to help us understand what we mean when we say God gave us everything, and now we have the opportunity to be generous in everything. So here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to invite Miss Paula Cummings to come up here. Paula's going to help me out. And uh, Paula, thank you. Give it a, give a round of applause to Miss Paula. She's lovely and talented. That's wonderful. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a dollar. Is that okay if I give you a dollar? That's right. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were in the parable of the shrewd manager. And you remember there was the business owner. And with the business owner, there was the manager who was managing the resources that the business owner had given him. So this would make me the business owner, right? You think you could... Manage that dollar for me. Oh, good. She's so good. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I've also done other, uh, one other thing here. Um, because it's my business, right, and you're the manager, and I've given you a dollar, right? You're managing that dollar. Okay. I've also brought some work with me for us to do. So we've got a little bit of work to do. Don't you wish all the work you had to do could fit in a box this size? Wouldn't that be nice? My work is so easy, and my burden is light, right? So this is the work that we have to do. So do you think you could manage to do some work? See, work. With, this, with that dollar? Yeah. Great, go ahead and put that in there. All right, now see, see how that works. Now she's doing some amazing, isn't she doing amazing work there? She does amazing, amazing work. That's, we should give her a hand for the work she's doing, don't you think? I mean, that's, that's impressive. It's easy work. It's easy work. Now watch this. Now, I'm going to ask a quick question. Who gave you the dollar? You did. Okay, I did, right? Okay, I'm going to ask them this question. Who brought the box? I did. Now let's open the box and find out what your good work has produced. Oh, look at that. Wow. Why don't you count that out? Count that out. 
nine, ten. Ten dollars. That's impressive. She does good work, doesn't she? That's, that's nice. That's good. And you just, okay, so let me ask some questions again. Who brought the dollar? Who gave you the dollar? I brought the dollar. Who, who brought the box? I brought the box, right? Who gave the increase? I did, right? I mean, unless you believe this is really a magic box, right? And if you think that, I'd be glad to receive your $100 right here. We'll just see what happens. I'll take it in the back. We'll see what goes on. Yeah, that's, that's good. You can have a seat. Thank you very, very much. Give a hand to Paula. That's very, very good. Now, now watch this. Uh, you had a seat, and you've got that $10 in your pocket. All right, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to, what would 10% of that $10 be? $1. Could you take $1 and just give it to anybody in the room? Would you, would you be willing to do that? So that would be a 90% return on investment, right? Yeah, you can do that right now. Yeah, you can do that right now. Yeah, um, she's going to take 10%. She's going to give that $1 to anybody in the room. Now she's got $9 that she didn't have. That's a 90. Think about that with me. I don't know how many, how many of you are really good at math or really good at investments, but how amazing is it to have a 90% return on investment? I don't know anybody, anything in the stock market, any bank account, any real estate investment that will give you a 90% return on investment. But here's what God does. Do you, do you get it? What God does? You may think you've got skill and talent and energy to work, but where did that skill and talent and intelligence and energy to work come from? The opportunities that you have, the privilege that you've experienced, the happy accident that you showed up at this place and in this time, where do you think that came from? God gave you the dollar in the first place. He brought the box, and he's the one who's provided the increase. And now he says to you, here's what I'd like you to do. Make it your plan in your budget. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Take part of your treasure, at least 10% of it. Take it, and I just want you to give it away. And I want you to keep the 90% because that's your return on investment. Could you do that for me? That's what God says. Now, here's the thing about being a generous believer. Some people will look at the letter of the law and they'll go, Oh, the Old Testament says 10%. The New Testament doesn't say anything about 10%. It's, that's the Old Testament. That's like living by the law. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's, that's like living by the law. But, but here's the thing I've learned about the New Testament. In the New Testament, grace fuels a higher standard. Doesn't it? Grace fuels a higher standard. Remember in the Old Testament, in the, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not commit murder. And in the New Testament, John says, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of committing murder. See, grace fuels a higher standard. In the Old Testament, in the letter of the law, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus says, if you look after someone else who's not your spouse with the intent to lust, you have committed adultery. You see, grace fuels a higher standard. It's the reason why in the Old Testament, the number is 10%. But in the New Testament, the number isn't anything because grace fuels the expectation that you would willingly give everything. See, that's a radical kind of generosity. When you place your treasure where your heart is and when your heart is, is one who is a trustworthy follower of Christ. So just based on that first idea alone, are you trustworthy? Let's keep going. Let's look at something else. The next idea, 
behind a trustworthy follower of Christ. They're not just trustworthy because they're generous. A trustworthy follower of Christ is also trustworthy because they're ready. They're ready. Look at verse 40 in Luke chapter 12. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You see, this is that parable that Jesus is telling about the man who is the business owner who's coming back to see what the people in his household have been doing while he's away and while he's gone. And this, this, this parable tells us that, that we need to be ready for Christ's return. You see, that's the truth about who Jesus is and what it is that God has done for us. It really is the story of Scripture, isn't it? It's really the story of who Jesus is. That we, you and I, are the people that God loves. God has proven his love for us time and time again. He created us. He sustains us. He provides for us. And over and over and over again, God has said to us, I love you with an everlasting love. That's the beginning of the story. And the next step in the story is that we've just failed miserably, haven't we? We've rejected his love. We're broken in our lives. We're broken by our own sin because we sin and we like it. We're broken because of the temptations we step into and sometimes the the accidents that we stumble over and the mistakes that we cause. One way or another, we're broken because we've hurt ourselves because of the sin that we give into. And whether you believe in Jesus or not, Whether you trust this book or not, the idea that we're broken by our sin is something every one of us can relate to because you've been hurt by someone else's sin, and at some point, you've hurt someone else because of your own sin. You see, the grand story of God begins with the idea that he loves us, and it continues to the idea that that we're broken by our sin, but in his love for us, God chose, he decided that he would make a way for all of our sin to be forgiven. For all of our transgressions to be wiped clean. And the way he made for that was through his son Jesus Christ. Who died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. That debt of sin we owe has now been paid. Justice has been satisfied. It's not that the person who who came to you and hurt you. It's not that they get away with it. Their sin is punished. Your sin is punished. But it's punished in the life and the death of Jesus Christ if we ask for his forgiveness and we follow him. And so as we ask for his forgiveness, that sin is punished. That debt is satisfied. But Jesus, who had never sinned, Jesus, who was the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God, he was able to prove that he was God because he rose again from the dead. And and if he rose again, Actually, it's in John chapter 14. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And and, and because it's so, because I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again that I might receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So that's the last part of the story. We're in the in-between time between his resurrection and that time when Jesus comes again. It's certain It's as certain as lunch is coming, Jesus is coming again. May not be in time for lunch, but he's definitely coming. And we as his people, if we're a trustworthy Christ follower, will be ready. Well, what does it look like for us to be ready? Uh, A few years ago, my family went to Disney World. And I love Disney World. It's a great place to go. And we just enjoy ourselves. It's always, always good to go there. But we told our kids 
earlier in the year that we were going to Disney World. And my youngest son did something really funny. As soon as we got done telling him, we weren't going for months. He didn't understand that. So he ran upstairs and immediately started packing a bag. And so he got a suitcase out. And he was throwing stuff in his suitcase. And then he came downstairs, came down, and we got right in the middle of the foyer of our house. And he just sat down and he was just sitting there with his luggage all packed, ready to go. I'm ready to go to Disney World. Uh, Dawson, I'm sorry to tell you this. We're not going right now. <laughs> we have some things, but show me what you packed. And I opened it up and there were Tootsie Rolls. And, and there was a toy that he was, and a helmet that he wanted to wear, and a Buzz Lightyear action figure that he wanted to take with him. And so there were no clothes at all. So I don't know what he was going to do to, I don't know what he's going to wear. But he was ready to be ready, right? He was ready to be ready, and he was just going to sit there and wait, right? Until it was time for us to go. You see, when Christ says, I'm coming back, be ready, he's not saying that we should just sit here and sit still and stay right here in this moment. He's actually saying there's something powerful and something important for us to do. We say it like this as a church. We're going to love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another. That's the way we say it. So when we say be ready, when God says I want you to be ready, what does he mean? He, he wants you to love everybody. He wants you to love people. He wants you to be ready to actively demonstrate the love he has for you to someone else. What does that look like? Well, I think it's easy to love the people who are like us, right? We were just before services starting over here having a little conversation. And we, were st- we were talking about Star Wars, and I'm a massive Star Wars fan, and evidently I've been joined by a bunch of geeks just like me. It's easy to love the geeks that are just like me because we were talking about the same. It's easy to love people like me. But when Jesus says, I want you to be ready, think about this. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Jesus Christ died for us. What does it mean when we say we're going to love people, when we're going to love everybody? Well, it means we need to love people who are like us, but we also need to love people who aren't like us. You know what we also ought to do? We might need to love people who don't like us. When was the last time you got into an argument over, will you fill in the blanks? Politics, religion, money, gender, When was the last time you just didn't like someone and they didn't like you because your stance wasn't quite the same or your opinion wasn't quite the same or your likes weren't quite the same or the refs just really messed up yesterday? When was the last time you had a hard time loving someone because they weren't like you or because they didn't like you? You see, if we're going to be generous, if we're going to be ready, We've got to learn to love people the way Christ loves them. Well, what else does that look like? Okay, love, that's, that's nice. We're going to be kind to people. We're going to not you know, yell and scream and bat our arms at people. We're not going to do those kinds of things. So what does it mean really? Well, maybe it means this. Maybe it means that we're going to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. Maybe that's what a servant who's working as the master comes, maybe that's what that really looks like. I'm so excited for the fall festival that's going to take place on this campus this week. It's going to be so much fun. There's going to be people from all over the community that are going to be here. And you know what You know what that's going to be for us as a church? That's going to be an opportunity for us to demonstrate to the people of this community that we're a generous people. That they don't have to rob us because we'll give it to them if you just ask. That they don't have to come to this place and find someone that they can argue with. 
They'll come to this place and find someone that will love them and care for them. We still may argue, but we'll argue the right way, right? We won't argue because we hate each other. We'll argue because we're just trying to figure out how to do life together, right? But maybe it's better than that. Maybe while people who are here for fall festival, maybe there's this opportunity for you not to just have a conversation about hot dogs and Halloween. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, tell me about your faith. And then just let them tell you about what they believe faith is all about, about how they see God and how they view religion and how they view this book and what are, what's their experience been with Jesus and what's their experience been with the Bible and with church people. And you just listen and you just let them talk. Isn't that a great way to show someone love is to just listen to them when they need you to listen? Hey, while you're here talking about hot dogs and Halloween, why don't we just ask this question? Why don't you tell me about your faith? And then after they're done, what if you, as a trustworthy Christ follower, what if you introduced to them the one who has saved you forever? Hey, that's great. I love hearing about your faith. Let me tell you about mine. My life was broken by sin, and my God, he loves me. And he loves me so much that in spite of my brokenness, Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. That's why I can be forgiven. It's what I believe, and it's changed my life. I think that's meaningful for you, too. I'd love to talk to you some more about it. That's what it means to be ready, right? That's what it means to love the way Jesus loved. Isn't that what Jesus did all the time? He'd have this very simple conversation with someone and somehow he would turn it to something eternal. There's this woman who's caught in adultery and everyone in the community is just being cruel to her and she shows up at his doorstep and he just loves her. And he very deliberately stands against those Pharisees and those people who would throw rocks at her. And he confronts them and says, you who have no sin, why don't you cast the first stone? And so he's very kind. He's very gracious. He's very gentle with her. And then the crowd disperses and the crowd leaves. And then you know what he does? In the same loving, confrontational voice, very gently, he turns to the woman caught in adultery and says, who, con who, who condemns you? I don't either. Now, you go and sin no more. He confronted the Pharisees. He confronted the woman caught in adultery. He did it. His approach was different, but all of it was loving. And all of it led someone into an eternal moment with our Heavenly Father. Are you going to be ready? Are you ready right now to have that kind of conversation with someone at work, with someone at school, with someone in our community, with someone on fall festival night? with someone as you're on the soccer field or the baseball field or, or in the voting booth as you're talking to people and standing in line and waiting to vote? Well, are you ready to have a loving conversation that points people to the eternal, that demonstrates the generosity of who God is and at the same time allows you to glorify God in all of eternity through the way you love people and are simply kind to others? There's a verse in Romans, it's chapter 1, verse 15, and the Apostle Paul, he says, As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. To those of you who are in Rome also, and, and, and to the Greeks, and to others. So what's in you? Are you a trustworthy follower of Christ? Are you ready to love people who aren't like you, who don't like you? And maybe, if you were honest, you don't really like that much either. Are you ready to love them? And are you ready to love them by sharing the gospel with them and giving them an eternal message to speak words of life to them? Are you ready to be generous to them? Here's the last idea. A trustworthy Christ follower. Here's the last thought. A trustworthy Christ follower is going to be faithful. 
A trustworthy Christ follower is going to be faithful. Look at verse 48. But the one who did not know, actually, let's go to the middle of verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, I'm not going to go deeply into this section of the passage, but a trustworthy Christ follower is going to be faithful. And in this passage, I find it interesting. It's actually two different parables. Jesus first tells one parable publicly, and then privately, Peter pulls him aside with all the disciples, and he says, hey, Jesus, was that parable about us or somebody else? And wouldn't you think it'd be clever of Jesus to just go, yes, Peter, it's about you. Wouldn't that be easy? I mean, haven't you, haven't you ever had that moment where you just wished with your kids, where they're going, hey, were you getting on to my brother, or were you getting on to my sister, or were you getting on to me? Come on, it was you. You know I'm getting on to you. Peter has this moment with Jesus, and instead of answering Peter's question with a very clear yes or no, Jesus does what he often does, doesn't he? He just asks another question, <laughs> and he tells another story. And I think there's a reason for it. I think the reason is that Jesus doesn't simply want us to follow a list of rules and regulations in the grace that he's given to us that's so overwhelming, that fuels that higher expectation. He wants us to learn to think and to be and to do, not from the heart of following a rule, but from a heart of faithfulness. I have given you, it's my delight, he says earlier in the passage, to give you the kingdom I delight to give you all of these things, my grace, my mercy, my loving kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. I've given you salvation, everything you have, everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you all of it. Now, you don't have any rules you have to obey. Go follow faithfully with what you've been given. Be generous, be ready, and be faithful. Two quick principles about faithfulness. I believe that faithfulness gives us a front row seat to all the promises of God. I don't know what pain you're going through. I don't know what circumstance you're going through. I don't know who you're waiting for or what you're waiting on. In this parable, they were waiting for the master to return. And in some instances, the faithful, trustworthy Christ followers, they found, when, when, when the master returned, they were rewarded. And the way they were rewarded was the master served them. But there was another, in that second parable, there's another group of people who they're not faithful in the middle of, of waiting for their master to return. And the Bible says that the master, when he returns, treated them like an unbeliever. And the, the language is brutal. It says he ripped them to shreds, kicked them out, and treated them like an unbeliever. So I don't know what you're waiting on or who you're waiting on, but I hope you're ready as you're waiting. I hope you're generous as you're waiting. More than anything, I hope you're faithful as you're waiting. And in your waiting, in the pain you feel, in the experience that you're having, in the hurt that, that, that slows you down, hold on. Why? Because faithfulness, doing the right thing the right way for the right reason, it gives you a front row seat to all the promises of God. What do I mean by that? Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He did the right thing. And he got sold into slavery. And then as a slave, he did the right thing. And he got accused of a crime he didn't commit. And then he went to jail. And then he did the right thing. <laughs> and he got forgotten. Totally forgotten. And then came the day when Pharaoh had a dream. Right? And the guys who forgot Joseph in prison went, oh yeah, I remember this guy. I made him a promise. I forgot all about my promise to Joseph. He can interpret your dream. He told us everything. We were thinking all the time. Joseph comes up and Pharaoh, because of Joseph's, 
because he's blessed by God. Pharaoh makes Joseph the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And the things that Joseph did saved not just a nation, it saved nations. And became the beginning of the story or the continuation of the story that led to Christ coming and saving all of us. What did Joseph do in the middle of all those circumstances? He was faithful. He held on. Why? Because holding on, being faithful, gives you a front row seat to all the promises of God. And here's the other truth about faithfulness. As a trustworthy Christ follower, someone who is faithful will keep their promise to you even if you break their pro- your promise to them. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? I've known married couples. One of them cheated. And the one who was faithful, I've seen it happen. It doesn't happen often. But I've seen it happen where the one who is faithful looked at the spouse that cheated and said, you may have broken your promise to me, but I will not break my promise to you. And today their marriage is healthier, better, and stronger than it's ever been because one was willing to confess and repent and one was willing to forgive. I'm going to be stubbornly faithful to my promise to you and I'm going to keep my promise even if you break your promise to me. We see that in the book of Hosea. Hosea is an Old Testament book. He was a priest. He was a prophet of God. And God gives him this very unusual command. He tells him to marry a woman who has a beautiful name. Her name is Gomer. (laughs) And so if you're looking for baby names, Gomer should be high on your list. Uh, I always think Gomer Pyle. That's what I think of when I think of Gomer. This was a woman. This was not Gomer Pyle. This was a woman. But what was unique about Gomer was she was a prostitute. And he made it clear, God made it clear to Hosea, you're going to marry this prostitute because I want you to be a picture of my faithfulness to the people of Israel. You, Israel, you have been unfaithful to me. You have broken your promise to me over and over and over and over again, just like this prostitute has with you, Hosea. But Hosea, I want you to remain married to her. Why? Because I want you to keep your promise to her, even if she breaks her promise to you, because I'm showing the entire nation of Israel what it's like to have a God who is faithful. Now, I'll just be honest. I don't know if I'm strong enough to be that guy who can keep my promise to you when you break your promise to me. I don't know if I have the endurance to suffer through the pain and hold on for all the promises of God. But here's the thing I know for sure. When it comes to faithfulness, it's not about my strength. It's about what God has done for me. God has been faithful to me and and kept his promise to me every time I've broken mine. And he'll do the same thing for you. God has been faithful to me and when I can't hold on, he holds me. And isn't that the nature of salvation as a whole? I'm not saved because I was able to grab him and because I was so good and I was so righteous and I was so put together and I was so all I was so generous I was so kind I was so, no I'm a believer in Christ I'm a follower of Christ because Christ grabbed me he caught me and it's by not my faithfulness that I stand it's by his faithfulness that I stand and so that's the challenge for us today As a Christ follower, are you trustworthy? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. 